Tim shares his greetings from Florida this morning. Lovely, warm Florida. Boy, don't we all wish we were there. Actually, it's not too bad outside. In the, uh, in the 30s at least and out of, the, uh, out of the ice and snow. You know, God's so good, isn't he? Uh, this morning as we were worshiping, uh, you heard the words that came from our worship team. And, uh, you know, I just want to share with you, these guys don't, you know, plan this stuff out. Uh, the Holy Spirit directs our steps and directs our words in our worship. And so God is good all the time. And I'm excited to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. We've been in a series called The Apostolic Dimensions. And uh, this week we're in week three. If you haven't heard week one and two, I encourage you to go to the website, uh, pick up a CD after service, and uh, listen to it. Get entrenched into what uh, our church is speaking on uh, this month. You know, the apostolic arm of the New Testament um, it's the first building block in equipping the saints for works of ministry. Uh, we don't want to look at the apostolic as something to attain to. Uh, some people could look at this as a leadership uh, growth pattern. Uh, that's not what we're here to do this morning. Um, we're not looking at the apostolic as this hierarchy of, of the thing we want to attain. But in, in basically what we're looking at is the apostolic being part of what encourages the body to do the work of the ministry. Uh, the Bible says that uh, the Lord gives us, first off, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, uh, to fulfill or to build up the church and to build up its people to do the work of the ministry. And that's the purpose of what we're, where we're at this morning. Um, because the apostolic work uh, will feature other portions of the fivefold, being the fact that, uh, as we've heard in the past few weeks, the apostolic pushes those other offices or those other uh, leaders or capacities into position. So, for instance, the apostolic would encourage prophets and pastors and teachers to take their authority, to take their role within the body, within the church body, to encourage them to equip those in those capacities. Because the apostolic has a role in all of those areas, sometimes the apostolic leader or apostolic folks in our lives can seem like, man, they've got everything together. But we know that we rely on the Holy Spirit for all of those things. So don't ever let the capacity of a leader or the, uh, the charisma of a leader overshadow the capacity of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. We're all connected and committed to impacting the body and impacting the world with the gospel of Christ. Um, there's an element to sustaining uh, apostolic drivers with strategy and support. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to share with you, out of Scripture, uh, some of the ways that we see the apostolic move of God in the New Testament supported, as well as strategies that were used by the apostles. Now, it doesn't mean that these are the only strategies available to us as a church. It doesn't mean that they may be the only way that we will see them being used. But these are strategies that were used by the New Testament apostles to proclaim the gospel and to grow the church. Uh, and so, while we look at that this morning, um, the number one reason that, obviously, Christ sent out the disciples was to multiply the kingdom, right? We know that, he was to go, that they were to go into all of the countries and to proclaim the gospel. Um, the strategy to change the world was to multiply the amount of Christians on the planet. The strategy for us to overcome evil is to multiply the, the presence of God throughout our areas of influence, throughout the communities that we are part of. Our strategy 
as a church is to impact our community by making disciples of Christ. This is an important part of what we do at Christ Community Church. Not every church has this mantle upon them, but we do. We believe that in order to influence our community, to change the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere, as well as the natural atmosphere in our community, we individuals have to go out from this place, these four walls, and impact our community by making disciples. Now, how do you make disciples? It means that you've got to sit down. You've got to do some work. There has to be some, uh, some work that has to go into this. First of all, it's sharing the gospel. It's sharing the recognition of who Jesus is, that he walked on the earth, that he died for our sins, that he was buried in the ground, that he was resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father. If you want to know the gospel, that's it. All men have come short of the glory of God, and yet by Christ we have the, the right to become heirs into the kingdom of God uh, through him. And so that's our purpose as a church, as a community, is to multiply what we know into other areas. So Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. Um, and we know that this is an important part of the process of the church. As, as a church, meaning holy in the world, the responsibility of the church is to what? To proclaim the gospel into all areas. And so we have missionaries, we have churches in, uh, in, in areas of the world where there have been no churches ever, and that is what the apostles did first and foremost. They went into the highways and the byways, they went into communities, they went into places where the, if you will, the scripture was known, but God was not known. Does that make sense to you this morning? Because there's a lot of that happening in our lives. We can go, you know, the, there, there have been uh, uh, Barna research polls taken, and if you ever hear on the news, there's, you know, if you, if you call up 80 people, 80 people would say they're Christian in the United States. But the reality is, is how many of them really have an understanding and, and really the depth, not just the knowledge but the, the understanding and the heart of saying, yes, I'm a Christian because I believe in what Jesus did for me. There's a, there's, a, there's a separation between our knowledge and our heart when it comes to accepting the gospel. Uh, and part of our responsibility as apostles, as an apostolic church, as apostolic leadership, is to recognize that it's go, it has to go beyond the knowledge of Christ into our heart. That's why the, the word says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ died and has resurrected, then we will be saved. And so there's a reality to not just speaking it, but also hear the knowledge of it in our heart. So Paul had a strategy for this, and he understood that the gospel changes everything. The apostle Paul, out of all of the other apostles, was the only one that we can clarify and make a statement of that he was a, if you will, a teacher of the law. Now the rest of the apostles went to, uh, if you will, they went to school, they did their due diligence as good Jewish kids, uh, and they learned the scriptures. But Paul was more than a learner of the scriptures. He was a teacher of the scriptures. We know that Paul was a Pharisee. He sat on a council. He was, if you will, a, uh, a, a, you know, a well-to-do man in regards to biblical teaching, especially, excuse me, the Old Testament teaching. Um, and he, 
probably beyond all of them, knew the Old Testament more than any of them in his heart. And so he could quote scripture and verse. But Paul, knowing that he had a strategy to accomplish in the world to multiply his knowledge, not just in his mind, but in his heart, with those around him, knew he had to go about sharing the gospel with strategy. And that was his apostolic strategy. Uh, anointing on him in order to share that so his his way of doing things was not the way of every apostle's way of doing things and it doesn't mean that it's the only way to accomplish them but i think there's some things that we can garner out of the way that he went about sharing the gospel from city to city around his tour when he was on his missionary trips and so i want to start out in acts 17 and we're going to read 1 through 9. So if you've got a notepad, you want to pull out your notepad, write some notes down, or pull out your Bible. Sometimes it's hard to uh, follow along in your Bible, so I put it up there on the screen. I don't know if it might be big enough for you to read it. Maybe not. I'll read it to you as we go, though. All right. So Acts 17 says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amph- Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Now, let me just stop there real quick. When you've got the women on your side, you know uh, that you have something that you've said right because you've garnered the support of these prominent women. Well, Paul, it says, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue. So there was a, there was a custom about Paul of what he would do. Obviously, he was a Jewish man, and so he knew he went to prayer. He went to his times when he was supposed to be with his Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, but more, more directly, it was his custom when he went on these missionary journeys that he would first go to the Jewish synagogue. Why? Number one, because they knew him there. There was a, there was a connection uh, with Paul in the synagogues. He was a Pharisee. He was well known uh, amongst, among the Jewish people. Uh, the second reason was is because when he went there, he knew that not only would the Jewish people know he was there, but the rest of the city would know because the Jewish people would go out and talk about him. Let's continue on. I want to uh, read the next set of verses. Uh, but other Jews were jealous. And so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, Then they had made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Isn't it just like the government to make sure that you pay and then you can leave? That's the responsibility of Caesar in this time. It was, well, if you got enough money, you can get out of jail. Uh, And sometimes that's the same case in our society too, isn't it? But uh, 
Paul, going into this, uh, the motivation that Paul had, Paul entered the synagogue, his, his, his reputation as a Pharisee went before him. Uh, we had talked about how uh, he was a learned man, he was a well-spoken man, he knew, in fact, uh, when you read through the scriptures, it's funny that Paul would be quiet, everybody else would talk about him and, and then would introduce him, and then it would say, and Paul would motion with his hand, and then he would begin. So he, he, he understood the crowd, you know. Uh, some people would say he was a showman, um, and, and that might be so, but he got people's attention. He drew them into a recognition of what he was going to say. Uh, there's a reality that your reputation is going to go before you. Paul's reputation went before him, uh, for good or for bad. Now, Paul, if you know, obviously, before he became a Christian, before Jesus smacked him on his face uh, while he was on the road to really convict other Christians, Paul was going to go and he was going to probably stone some people. He was going to encourage the Jewish people in other areas to put down this false religion that was Christianity that had not been called that yet. These Jesus followers, he was going to go and, and just kind of squash that whole thing. But Jesus had a whole nother revelation for him. And although Jesus spoke to him, him, and he rose a different man, you, his reputation didn't change right away. And sometimes in our lives, when we come to know the Lord, our reputation doesn't change right away. I don't know how many of you came to know the Lord when you were older in life, after your high school years per se, but I can assume that if you went back to your uh, class reunions of 20, 30 years after you graduated, and you got saved after graduation, and you showed up, uh, you know, people would have a thought of what your reputation was before you came back. Uh, and that might have opened up some doors for you. Maybe you had some opportunity to share how God changed your life, how God rearranged thoughts and processes and things, and people might have thought that you were one way, but now you had an opportunity to speak another way. And that's the apostolic move sometimes, that when we walk into an area of our life, or a, uh, an, a, an area of influence that we have, that there may have been a reputation that comes before us, but the Holy Spirit within us can allow those things to make room for us to share the gospel, can open up conversations if we're listening, if we're watching, for those things to come about. The background that we have may not be what we wanted it to be, but it doesn't mean that it can't be what it, the, that the forward thoughts that we have, the forward things that we have to accomplish can't be what we want them to be. See, our background doesn't change what the next step in our life is. Our reputation from yesterday doesn't have to be a representation of what is tomorrow. In our lives, sometimes we get sunk into the fact that, well, I was like that yesterday, I'm going to be like that today, I'm going to be like that tomorrow. And the, the gospel would say just the opposite. What, what, what you did yesterday is dead and buried, and what you are tomorrow is alive and resurrected. And that's a lifestyle that as we live that out, we have a representation then to share with those around us. What our reputation was yesterday may not be what we think will propel us into what is tomorrow, but in many cases it can be. When 9-11 happened, uh, I'm sure we all remember where we were, just as uh, people that are older than me remember where they were when JFK was shot. Um, for me, that was, that was really, in my mind, a marker point in my life where I can say, wow, this, this is something that happened in my life. It was a devastating time. But how many of you, in all of your areas of uh, whether you were at work, whether you were at school, uh, whether you were at home, 
had the opportunity to share the gospel with people because of that situation. It was, it was a marker point in American society where all of a sudden the reality that there was more to life than just living impacted all of us. And it impacted everywhere we were. And whether our reputation before that was one of you, you know, very little knowledge of, of who Jesus was. Maybe you only shared Jesus, your reality of Jesus, or your salvation uh, into the kingdom with very few people. When that happened, things, things changed. Things changed at your work. I can tell you at the company that I worked at, it was an amazing opportunity that, and I don't take any of this boastfully upon myself, it was all the Holy Spirit. The time I was 21, and uh, you know, many people knew that I was uh, this Christian boy who you know, read his Bible during lunch hour and things like that. But I didn't have an opportunity to obviously proclaim the gospel to as many people in my workplace as I wanted to. But God used this opportunity and the reputation that I had to allow me the opportunity to share the gospel with over 400 people. It was an amazing opportunity. And God will use us in those apostolic ways if we're listening and if we're allowing ourselves to be moved by him. Just as Paul, when Paul walked into these synagogues, he was recognized as someone who knew the scriptures and could clarify to the Jewish people the scriptures. And so when they gave him the opportunity to do that, and he spoke it out, and he spoke it into, uh, in, into reality, and then coupled that with the gospel of Jesus being dead, buried, resurrected, living at the right hand of the Father, the Bible proclaims that many people followed him, and there were some who didn't. And obviously those were the ones that had stirred up the trouble, had stirred up the thing. But in stirring those things up, we need to recognize that the gospel was proclaimed even further than it could have been if they wouldn't have been, if it wouldn't have been stirred up. Think about it this way. If Paul just would have went into the synagogue, preached the message of Christ, couple Jewish people would have came to know the Lord, great. That's an awesome thing, right? Even if one comes to know Jesus, hey, the kingdom is better off and there's a, there, there's an, a great party ha- happening in heaven with the angels. But in reality, when, when Paul would go into the synagogue, would preach the message, would, and a few people would follow him and all these other people would be up in arms and they'd go into the city and they'd proclaim that this is all wrong and they'd come to the, if you will, the rulers, those people in higher authority, guess what? Now the next day there would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people wanting to talk to this guy who was almost causing a riot, including the officials of the city. And he'd have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them. Again, the apostolic format is is driven minimally on self-indulgence and maximum on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the apostolic strategy, the strategy of the apostolic is always to share the gospel. Is always to share the gospel. Is always to share the gospel. Whether or not we feel comfortable in it, it's to share the gospel. Strategy. Apostolic strategy without the Holy Spirit is just a word. Apostolic strategy without the Holy Spirit is just a word. If we want to accomplish what Christ has called us to do, then we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one that's directing our steps. If we're going to do it on our own, then the reality is is that we are just committed to our own personal strategy. We can't accomplish this on our own. 
We can't accomplish telling our friends and family about Christ on our own. And, and, and I don't mean this in a disregard to when we, when we pray or proclaim or tell people to go and do, but there's a reality to the Holy Spirit leading and directing our words and leading and directing our steps. I don't know how many of you have ever driven past somebody and the Holy Spirit says stop and help them and you just keep driving and you get about a half mile down the road and the Holy Spirit keeps saying stop and help them, stop and help them. Now you're two miles down the road and it just won't stop and so you're like, I gotta turn around now and go back. And if I would have just listened, I would have been able to stop right then and help them. And so, again, the reality of the strategy that we have has to be Holy Spirit driven. There's no way around it. Let's go to Acts 17, uh, verse 16 through 23. Again, another story of Paul and while he was on one of his missionary journeys. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue, again, back to what he did on a continual basis, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. But sometimes you can get into a discussion like that where people could just say, that guy's crazy. (laughs) You know, it's all over the media. Uh, I just, I read a tweet (laughs) this morning uh, about uh, our vice president who had proclaimed Christ, uh, the savior of the world, resurrected, and you know, here half the news media thinks the guy should be uh, put in a mental institution. The reality of the gospel is not going to be, uh, is not going to be a, something that's going to fit here in our knowledge, but it's going to fit here in our heart. And that's the, that's the reality of the apostolic move and the apostolic standard is that when we take a position apostolically and say these things, then we are not going to fit the mold of the world. The world does not understand the gospel, but it is up to us to preach the gospel. Let's continue on. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting uh, of the Aragopagus, where they said to him, may we know this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds like a lot of people I know. (laughs) Paul then stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that every one of you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now, it's a pretty harsh thing to say, but I bet you it gained everybody's attention right then and there. These people were the types of folks that, like, like the Bible says, they talked about everything that was new, and they thought about everything that was new, and that's what they did all day long. Back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes I feel like when we don't have a purpose, that's what we do. We just want to talk about everything and not do anything. 
I'm glad that we have a purpose as Christians to go and to share the gospel with others, to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities, in our, in our families, in our lives, wherever we're at. Because of that purpose, we know that we can have something to do every day. We just don't have to talk about things, but we can go and do things. You know, there's an active view of the things of God in the apostolic view. When we have, a, when, when we have an apostolic mantle on us and when we're considering that, we know that there's going to be things that come into our lives that seem odd, that seem different, but we need to use them for the glory of God. When Paul was walking around seeing all these idols, I'm sure he was dismayed and flustered and frustrated and said, God, why do you have me here in this place where there's so many idols? No one wants to listen to me. All these people do is talk about themselves and talk about each other and talk about newfangled ideas and could care less about the gospel and the scriptures. But Paul picked up on one little teeny tiny sign that said, to the unknown God. And from that sign, he was able to convey then the scriptures and convey the reality of who this unknown God is and was. And in our lives, it's the same way. We could be walking through uh, our, a store, a grocery store, and the Holy Spirit could speak to us, hey, you know, you need to go t- tell that lady that's picking up those oranges, God loves her. And we might think, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it sounds crazy. But... When we do it, who knows what that could open? Who knows what kind of opportunity we have to share the gospel in that instance? And that's up to us. That is something that God puts on us and has a responsibility for us to accomplish. That's the reality of the gospel, going into all the world, conveying the scriptures, conveying Christ in all these areas. Sometimes apostolically led ministries or apostolically led people could seem like they're shooting from the hip could seem like they're doing things off the cuff, but in reality, they're doing things as the Holy Spirit leads and directs them. And what an amazing way to live our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan, our, uh, plan out the best, that we shouldn't think about the future and consider those things, but what does God say? God says, hey, listen, look at the birds of the field. They don't think about tomorrow, yet I provide for them. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry about what they're going to wear, yet I provide for them. Sometimes we can get sucked in so much to the planning for the future that we forget about the purpose of God for today. And there's a reality that we need to take on ourselves as apostolic people that understand that if the Holy Spirit directs us to do something, we need to move into that because it's going to open up opportunities for the gospel to be shared as well as opportunities for us to fulfill what Christ has called us to do. You know, we have a mandate to be the body of Christ and not just to be individuals. We have a mandate to be the body of Christ and not just individuals. And that can be difficult for each of us to consider. But we need to recognize that in our lives. You know, an apostolic view of the gospel is the reality that we are living epistles. That we are living epistles. That we are walking out something that people can read on a day-to-day basis. They can read us. How will they know who we are except by our love for one another, the Bible says. We are to share that love as we go into the highways and byways. It's an apostolic strategy without relationship. Apostolic strategy without relationship is just personal desire. So as we're talking about strategy, as we're talking about apostolic 
strategy, we need to recognize that relationship is important in this. That's why any leader, uh, whether it's in the church realm or whether it's uh, in, uh, if you will, in the world, uh, leaders are not what drives the, um, the capacity that they have. Their leadership charisma can only go, can only go so far. Our, our leadership uh, personality can only go so far. But relationship helps us to accomplish what Christ has called us to do as a church, as the church as a whole. We have a purpose to build relationship. All of these stories so far have included relationship, Paul's relationship with his brothers, uh, with his Jewish brothers, and now we're going to see Paul's relationship uh, with some other folks. In Acts 18, 18 through 28, the word says this, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chechorea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived, and I'm not saying go cut your hair, but if you want to, cut your hair. Uh, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. He moved on. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed in Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem, greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia, Figuera, strengthening all the disciples. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brother and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, why do we go all the way from Paul doing all this stuff down to when we hear about Apollos going to Achaia? Well, let's, do it. let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Apollos was a friend of Paul's. He was somebody that Paul had taken under his wing. Everywhere that Paul went, he shared of his relationships that he had without, in, inside the Christian community. The leaders that he knew, the people that he entrusted, his sons, his spiritual sons, if you were, and Apollos was one of them. So that means that at some point in Paul's missionary journeys, he's been sharing about Apollos, he's been sharing about the love that he has for him, he's been sharing about his leadership capacity, his personality, his purpose, God's call on his life, and now when Apollos goes out to share the gospel in these Jewish communities, he's welcomed in. He's has a, he, he has a, a, a welcome invitation to come and share. Now, it doesn't mean that he's going to get the warm welcome everywhere, just like Paul didn't get a warm welcome everywhere, but he had the opportunity to share the gospel. And in our lives, relationship extends beyond all the other things that we have. Really, I, heard a, I heard a quote the other day. It said, and, and this was from an individual that I didn't think really read quotes, but uh, they said, you know, what, what, doesn't, what doesn't leave with us from this earth is money, things, items, but what does leave with us from this earth are relationships. And there's a, there's a reality in that. Now, the Bible doesn't proclaim that we're going to uh, particularly you know, call our moms moms and dads dads, but there is a reality that we will know one another in heaven. 
The Bible is pretty direct on that, that we'll know each other. And so our relationships that we have on this earth are impactful even throughout eternity. And that's an amazing thing. First of all, you know, relationship in all of our lives allows us to either be known or known by others. And when we're known by someone, it, it, can, it can bring us encouragement. When we know that we can go to someone in love and in hope and, and, and get a hug or a handshake or have a conversation, those can bring us into a deeper reality of who Christ is. Relationships, bottom line, breed multiplication or the impact of the gospel. Because I know so-and-so, so-and-so can know so-and-so, and so-and-so, so-and-so can know so-and-so. So if you will, if there's 12 disciples at the beginning of this whole thing called Christianity, and now we could say there's been millions or billions of people who have come to know the Lord because of 12, it's all happened because of multiplication. Because someone has told someone about the gospel. And that's our purpose, is that we have relationship to share the gospel. Going back to the mandate that we have as a body, each of us are a part of the body of Christ. Not all of us are a hand, not all of us are a foot, not all of us are a mouth, but we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. You know, 1 Corinthians 12.12 talks about that. But I want to clarify something. The apostolic move and the apostolic realm is not focused on friendship. It's focused on relationship. Let me say it again. The apostolic move of God is not focused on friendship. It's focused on relationship. What does that mean? Well, it means this. It means that sometimes it can be lonely because our, our friendships may break. They may falter. They may not be there tomorrow. But it doesn't mean that we don't have relationship with one another. That's why the Bible says that we should work things out with one another. When we have ought against another person, hey, we might not be able to be a friend to them, but you know what we can be? We can be relationally driven to them because who's our head? Jesus Christ. We can recognize that we can work things out and direct our steps appropriately so that hopefully we can come back into a friendship time. In Acts 15, 36-39, this happens to Paul. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back, let's visit all the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it was too wise to take him because he had deserted them and had not continued with them in the work of the ministry. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Sometimes our, our friends leave us. Sometimes our family leaves us. And sometimes we go into a place where the, the apostolic, the strategy of the apostle sometimes can be lonely. Why? My opinion is, this isn't scripturally based, this is my opinion. My opinion is, is that when we get lonely, we are, we are deciding to make a statement or deciding to move contrary, not parallel, perpendicular, away from God's calling on our lives. 
It's a human emotion. I'm not denying the fact that loneliness isn't there. But usually when we feel lonely, we are separating ourselves from the Lord. Like it was said this morning, when we feel defeated and, and when we feel like we've done wrong, we run away from God. And so our loneliness starts to impact us in a way that we, we, we don't expect it to. But if we turn and walk back to God, if we come towards him, if we run towards him, hasn't he said that he's our provider? Hasn't he said that he's our defense? Isn't he our Abba Father? There's a reality in the purpose that we have in being the, the heir to everything that he's proclaimed to Jesus. Apostolic strategy can be a lonely place. There's a story in, in World War II, prior to World War II, um, of uh, Hitler going through Europe and taking, taking over France and taking over areas around there. Um, many of you may have seen the, the recent movie called The Darkest Hour, but there's a story behind that, and it talks about Winston Churchill, uh, who I didn't know much about until I saw the movie, and I said, well, I'll do some research. But Winston Churchill, was a, he, he was an orator. He was a man of, of many different hats and uh, different, uh, different capacities. Uh, but when he became the prime minister, or the president, if you will, um, he was under the rule or under the, the reign of a king, um, the, the, the monarchy. And so part of his job as the president was to uh, direct the steps of the British government and people, but in a way that would represent the monarchy or the king. And there is a story about how he had lost all of his support for standing against Hitler and against the Nazis because there was just so many uh, attacks coming against their soldiers that were overseas. And they were about to lose the rest of their army. They were going to be left with nothing uh, in, in their army. And Winston Churchill did not feel like it was going to be of any benefit for the British people to secede to Hitler because he had just thought that, you know, although he had signed... Uh, declarations with other countries that Hitler wasn't going to uh, abide by them, that he was just going to take over the, the whole entire British uh, people. And so the story goes that he was in his room at night considering what to do on the next day because he had to go and, and proclaim this to his parliament, to his government, as to what their decision was going to be. And he had lost all of, his, uh, all of his support in government and all of his support that he had brought with him that were, that were friends with him, that were relationship with him. But he had, he had lost them all. And they all had said, sign it or else all 3,000 of our, of, our, of our men, young men are going to die and we're going to be left with nothing and then Hitler's going to come in and take over anyway. And he was so compelled to not do that, he was up in his, up in his study late one night, not knowing what to do, and his wife comes in, and his wife says, you have a visitor. He goes, a visitor? Who, do, who, would, who would be visiting me this late at night? She said, well, I'll bring him in. And so in walks the king. And they sit down, and, and the king is, is asking him, uh, first of all, the king asks, what should I do? Should I flee? Should I leave? Should I leave the palace, Buckingham Palace? Should I go somewhere? Should I go to Canada? And he goes, uh, you've got to do what's right for you. 
what's right for your family. So as they continue to sit there, Winston says, you know, I, I don't have any support left. I don't have anyone left in government that will, that will stand with me if I make this stand, and I don't know as if it's the right stand to do. And the king turned to him in that instance and says, Winston, you have me. You have my support. And what went from a time of loneliness on Winston's behalf, when he had the support of the king, it completely turned him around and caused him to change what his decision was going to be the next day. The story goes that the next day he goes to parliament, everybody's against him, he stands up, he says, I don't care if anybody is with me, but there is no way that we are going to sign these declarations. And he goes on in his oratory speech to share other reasons of why they shouldn't, and sure enough, they don't. And because of his stand that day and the support that he had from his king at that time, History today is different than it could have been. The reality is is that we have a king that sits on our side. Amen? We have a reality of a king that sits in our life and that when we're lonely, when we're separated, when when we're in a place where we have no friends and it seems like all of our relationships are gone, it seems like there is no one else around us, Jesus stands with us and says, I'm for you, not against you. And that's the gospel today. That's the reality of the gospel in our hearts. And as we close this morning, I want us to consider that. Maybe you have been on this planet for 15, 20, 25, 50 years, and you felt lonely, you felt separated, you felt, uh, you felt separated from God, separated from your family, separated from your friends. Today, King Jesus is saying, I'm here. Today, King Jesus is saying, I'm the one that wants to be in relation with you. I'm the one that wants to change those things in your life. You may not feel like you could live an apostolic life today. You might be thinking, what is all this stuff all about? What, is, what's been, what have we been talking about for 30 minutes? Let me break it down into this for you. Jesus Christ was born on this earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But the gift of God, the gift of God, And this gift that we can we receive ourselves and that we can share with others is Jesus. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was dead, buried, resurrected, we can be saved. So if we're going to get anything out of today, it's the fact of who Jesus is. It's the fact that he's king. He's king in our lives. If we want to talk about a strategy, the strategy is that. The strategy is sharing the gospel. The strategy is recognizing who Christ is. The strategy is knowing Christ is king. So this morning, I'm going to make a bold proclamation. If you're here and you don't know Jesus is your Savior, and you don't know Jesus is king, I want to pray for you this morning. We're not going to do it with our heads closed, or our eyes closed and our heads bowed. 
We're going to do it openly. Because just as much as Christ wants to be your king, this family wants to be your family. And so is there anyone here that I could pray for this morning that would say, I want to make Christ my king. I want to draw close to Christ. Well, then let me make another proclamation. Recognizing that we're all Christians and that we all know Christ is king. Is there anyone here that would say, I'm going to take a stand for Christ and I'm going to proclaim him as king in my life wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whether we're in the highways or the byways, whether we're at the grocery store, whether we're in our workplaces, whether we're driving down the street and the Holy Spirit says to us, hey, stop. We're going to take on that apostolic calling that we have to live by the Holy Spirit, to be directed by His steps. To make it not about ourselves, but about Him. Let's stand. Let's pray. And if you feel compelled this morning and you want to just reconnect to Jesus. Come to the altar. They're open this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you that your word proclaims us saved, set apart for you, proclaims us the body of Christ, proclaims us individuals yet united in a purpose of sharing the gospel to this world. Lord, we thank you that there are are apostles among us. And Lord, we thank you that that apostolic government surrounds the church. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that we would be impacted by your word, that we would leave here changed, renewed. Lord, that we would be revived for sharing the gospel in an apostolic way. In Jesus' name.